0: This is the Tribe Tech Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Tribe Tech Podcast by Tech Southwest. I'm Robert Hillier. And my co-host is Fayaz Khan.
2: Hi, today we're talking about a subject that's a really massive challenge for businesses in tech.
1: Yep, today's subject is diversity.
2: And even though the amount of businesses with a tech focus are worth more than £180 billion in the UK and growing three times faster than the rest of the economy, even now during this pandemic, diversity remains a sticking point.
1: A recent survey by PwC showed that having a diverse workforce means more innovation, creative thinking and, well, just generally better ideas. And a more diverse group of people will make a company more interesting to work for.
2: Well, obviously. And one of the topics that regularly come out of this podcast is the difficulty attracting women into tech, even though there are growing platforms encouraging diversity.
1: So to help us do a bit of a deeper dive into this topic, in this episode, we're talking to Tanavi Ethanandan, a founder of a tech startup.
3: What it really should be about is, when you have a great idea and you're passionate about the industry, that's what we love doing. And I think it's actually almost secondary that we happen to be a female-founded company.
2: We're also speaking to Emma Williams, who's a tech storyteller, making the techy things happening in Devon easier to understand
4: been able to sort of scratch the surface of some really deep technical stuff but also interpret or interpret it but also convey how it relates to the ordinary person on the street.
1: And we hear from Caitlin Gould from Bluefruit Software about her tech girls initiative in Cornwall to get more girls working in tech jobs.
0: Something that we're looking at uniquely compared to some of the other fantastic organisations is that we're looking at the primary school age and we're kind of looking at inspiration and fun Um, what we're interested in is trying to inspire younger girls um, kind of as young as five or six to think that that could be something they'd be interested in in the future
2: let's start with danavi who we asked how she got to be the founder of a company in a sector that has a really odd and false image of being a haven for geeky guys
3: that's a really interesting question and actually something that is such a shame that we have to even ask it um, but for me, personally, it was just an exciting industry. And it's a really exciting concept what we have here at Data Duopoly about rerouting people away from the crowds. And I have a fantastic co-founder, Erin Morris, who's other another female. And I think for us, our sort of shared vision with bringing in the data analytics from my background of financial knowledge and her, the creativity, I think we work really well together. and. Actually, it doesn't make a difference about our gender. It's just that we have a great product and we're bringing it to market. And what it really should be about is when you have a great idea and you're passionate about the industry, that's what we love doing. And I think it's actually almost secondary that we happen to be a female-founded company.
2: I, I totally agree with that, actually. because, But I feel like even so... It seems as if women don't seem to be that attracted to this region, sector-wise. There are very few female founders. I mean, Launchpad is one of the few places where you find quite a few of them. But in general, there are very few female founders. And in general, it's almost as if we have to convince women that this is a great place to be.
3: You know what, I think that's quite true. Um, I mean, myself, I previously worked in finance um, in the big four um, in London, and I studied economics at Cambridge University, again, quite typically male-dominated subjects. So I think that wasn't as daunting for me because I just knew I loved those subjects and that sort of industry. But I think when you enter tech, you realise there's so many opportunities and it's actually a fantastic industry to be in because it's cutting edge, it's really exciting, and you can actually make an impact on people's lives. Um, So for example, at DQ Duopoly, one thing we felt really passionately about is accessible routing. Um, And we built that in at the very, the ground up rather than thinking of as an afterthought. And it's that sort of caring and compassion that I think comes from us being founders Mm. that sort of reflected in our product. And actually, that's a wonderful thing to do. And I think anyone would be thrilled to work in this industry. So it's just getting over the sort of almost stereotype that it's a geeky male-dominated industry. Because once you enter it, you realize it isn't. It's an exciting, thriving industry that is warm and welcoming to as many people as possible.
2: And then how do we get that message out? How do we get more women into tech? Whether it's, I mean, not just as founders, as as anything, you know, you could be in marketing, you could be in sales, you could be um, anywhere. You don't just have to be a founder or a coder, do you?
3: Yeah, that's really true. I think ultimately it's just going to be through experience. I think it's people talking to their friends about saying, I've had a great career or I'm having a great time working in this industry It's leading by example, Um, so something we're really passionate about and really excited. We've just been listed as the top 10 startup in the UK and France. I saw
2: that. Congratulations.
3: Thank you. Thank you. And what's really great is that there's so many initiatives out there to help female founders. Um, Even the Cornwall Initiative Tech Girls is fantastic about encouraging primary and secondary school children to consider careers in tech at a young age. And I think it's the sort of thing we can do in the educational program and helping people see role models, that actually it's not a scary industry. Mm. It's a fantastic industry to be involved in and it should be one to consider, not one to be ruled out. Mm. And I think as more women enter the industry, it's going to be easier for everyone really and better for the whole industry um, as you know more creative minds enter the space.
2: Um. And let's talk a little bit more about a data duopoly as well. I mean, let's talk about exactly what your product is and why it's so amazing.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you for that introduction. Um, So for us, data duopoly is on a mission to revolutionize the visitor experience in any venue worldwide. And what that really means is that we want to use tech to enable people to have a better experience to have a greater and more exciting day out and to focus on the memories they're creating with their loved ones and not the queues. So it stemmed from the idea that Erin and myself hated queuing when we went to visit attractions. And we all sort of fell into the same trap that we would walk around a venue, we would see the signs that turn left, and we would follow the same set of people around our whole day out, being really annoyed about the queues and the bottlenecks. So we thought, what if you could personalize it? So everyone got their individualized route shifted by incentive, maybe like a free coffee or half price dessert in the canteen, and actually got a really personal experience on their phone and didn't get stuck in the queues. And that's what we do with our smart routing and allowing people to really enjoy their day out through our Explore It platform. And at the same time, we give venues the data they need. But it's all anonymized. And that's something that's very core cool about our product. We only give anonymized data. We don't want to be big brother. We want venues to be able to use the data to help improve their services for the next time you visit, to make the experience better, to reduce the queues, and make sure everyone loves their day out rather than thinking, "Oh, I wish I hadn't been queuing for an hour of <laughs> it. Yeah.
1: Have some of the, the the challenges brought about by the coronavirus, has, has that has that helped the business? Uh, at all Has that given you a bit of a of a of a more obvious opportunity and a and a driver for people to be able to to manage who's going to their venue and where they are and what they're doing
3: yes the the covid situation has been absolutely horrible understandably but it's also presented an opportunity and a need an understanding by venues that actually we need to disperse people away from the busy areas not only because it reduces repeat custom reduces the visitor experience, and decreases revenue spend on site, Um, but actually for safety and social distancing. So I think there's a greater awareness, and that's really where our ExploreIt platform can help, because we let people know where the busy areas are on their phone through an easy to understand traffic light system. And we also send them on routes away from the busy areas. So for example, if we were working at a zoo, if the penguin talk at 3 p.m. is really busy, but there's one at five that we know is going to be quite quiet based on everyone's location. We'll send a certain section of the population to the later one and maybe offer them a half priced coffee to wait around or maybe visit another exhibit. And what we're really trying to do is allow people to make informed decisions. We're not telling anyone what they should do, but we're giving them the information they need to feel confident about their day out, to come back to venues so they know they can safely manage their day out and have a great time without worrying about all the other things going on in the world at this moment in time.
2: That's fantastic. Uh, you guys should go to Disneyland as well because I've, I've heard that the queues are terrible there.
3: Definitely, I mean, we would absolutely love to work with Disneyland. And I think <laughs> this is where it's really exciting. What started off as a small company, a small concept, it's growing and we're seeing so many more use cases. And what's really exciting is that we as a startup, we feel like we can do our bit to help people almost a set to recover from the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. help people come back to venues in a safe manner and really enjoy their day out. And more than ever right now, people need a day out to have a little bit of fun and just forget about what's happening around the world.
2: Day Duopoly's Dhanavi Ethanandan. Day Duopoly is on all the social media if you want to look them up.
1: So next up it's Arma Williams who leads the Marketing and Communications at Environmental Futures and Big Data Impact Lab which is a partnership of seven world-class organisations based in Devon.
4: I'm not from a traditionally tech background um, and my father's an engineer so I think he was a bit disappointed <laughs> I didn't follow his footsteps but it's been really nice to sort of it, to a certain extent it sort of feels like I've come full circle and I appreciate a lot more what my father does um, even though I'm coming from a different vantage point and that's what I say to everyone really that there is there is space in tech for everyone.
1: One of the problems I think that so many Mm -hmm. of the companies down here have is that they may have these amazing ideas but they're not great at telling their own story well are they if you don't do that then what you're doing can't have the impact you want it to have so it's, it's important that I think that none of us underplay the role that we have in this sector.
4: Thank you. I feel like so much of my um, so much of my job involves speaking to people and saying, "Okay, can you repeat that again?" Okay, so what does that bit do? What does that bit do? And then uh, coming to a conclusion that, or just getting it to a point where it can be understood mm-hmm. by just anyone, really. I had, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, um, my my cleaners come weekly, and um, my the. Uh, cleaners came in and they asked me what I was doing or they said hello and they asked me what I was doing and um, I was reading a piece about um, machine machine vision and they said oh I don't know anything about that and I said well machine vision um, is all sorts of things and um, I thought of an example I've just been reading this article and then I thought of an example which was uh, on my iPhone if you type into your photos uh, things like dogs and whatever your um, your phone can recognise images of, uh, well, can recognise what's what's in an image. Mm. So I just showed them just how, just a simple example of machine vision, just um, with my phone and using my phone photo library and just typing in things like dog, chair, yeah. uh, tree, and just showing them how the the phone was smart enough to recognise what was actually in the image. And it's just so nice to be able to sort of, convey it in really simple terms and just uh, remind people how tech plays into their lives and Mm. how we use it and how we can use it. And that opens up all sorts of possibilities.
2: I used to work with a number of startups and try to help them tell their story. But it's quite difficult sometimes when people think in a certain way and then they aren't able to use just general everyday words to describe what it is that they're doing. Because they had these fantastic businesses, but a lot of the time yeah. I didn't know what it was. I was like, "What? What are you? I don't understand." <laughs> and then it was just like, "Oh, bas- they they were just building a game, or they were just building, yeah. you know, a, a shoe that was eco-friendly." And i was like, "Why don't you just say that then?" But you know, obviously, yeah. the words that they use, yeah, is... because to
1: them, to them, that's not what they're doing, is it? And presumably, no. the people no, who are telling you no. about 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 machine vision didn't see it in yeah. that way did they they didn't sort of say didn't make it about the individual and about the about the individual's day-to-day experience isn't it? and it's not it's about yeah being able yeah to sort of say to people that's all well and good why does it matter
2: yeah
4: exactly exactly exactly. and that was just one example it's one example of what it could do and um, I'm sure it can do all sorts of um Far more exciting and noteworthy things than just finding pictures of dogs on my phone. Um, but that was the, at that point in time, that was the most easily. Um, it
2: was that a was a good the, late the way to, example. Yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. That was just the, most, the easiest way for us to enjoy it there and then. Mm. Um, and you can see yeah, why it's
1: funny. so frustrating for people <laughs> sometimes because they, they want to say, no, but it's more than that and it's this and it's that and the other. But you have mm. to see, sort of yeah. But I'm, I've, 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 you know, I've got to do a, I've got to do popular science around this, and it's yeah. frustrating when I have to strip away ninety percent of what you've done. Yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> otherwise, it, it, we're just we're just we're just not going to get people to be able to engage to know to know what it is you're doing, mm. and that's that's the challenge, isn't it? It's it's persuading people yeah. that I'm sorry that I'm not going to mention most of what you've done, mm. but I have to get people interested in. In this bit, and that's 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 quite a challenge, isn't it, is, with what you do?
4: Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's it's it is a huge challenge because you never want to dumb down anybody's work, but at the same time, like you said, it's really important that you can relay it in a way to people that um, that they'll understand. But I think sometimes as well, it's just about ensuring that they also understand that there's a bit of a trade-off that they can do all of the stuff, the stuff that they want to do, all of the sort of high-tech, more conceptual thing um if they can just by virtue of people engaging with something at a more basic level
2: mm, exactly and that's how you get your products sold or funded exactly or if that's the,
1: the bit that
4: makes the money it. you've exactly. then got the money to go off and do the most the more exciting things exactly yeah. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure <laughs> the
1: people who invented pop tarts a few is that it's just sold as a hot breakfast <laughs> snack yeah. you've got no idea <laughs> well, what went into that <laughs> pop
2: tart <laughs> last for 20 years yeah.
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> you they, the technology i not moulding call it a pop tart yep, yep
4: the 10 canvas 10
3: years
4: but... yeah. immediately prior to the role that I do now I've been working for a um, digital marketing agency so I had a bit more of a broader mm-hmm. view of I'd say sort of more techie things so it just sounded really interesting the the job that I do at the moment is marketing and communications for a uh, tech project that is a collaboration between seven research organisations, I'll name them all. They're the University of Exeter, the University of Plymouth, Plymouth College of Art, Plymouth Marine Laboratory, Rothamsted Research, they do um, agriculture, uh, the Met Office, they do the weather, and Exeter City Futures, which is sort of a, an incubator and an accelerator for civic focused startups so uh, in a nutshell the partnership provides free support to businesses in Devon to help them develop products and services that involve the big data and technical and environmental expertise um, that exists across the the partnership and it's really just about using all of the um, incredible tech skills that we have within the within Devon and um large extent the southwest uh to support small businesses to develop and grow
2: mm, it totally makes sense to have to use our resources and i mean just pull them in the in the right way so that we can make the best of them but i wonder um i mean did you see yourself as someone who would be going into tech
4: Absolutely not. Um, truth be told, I wasn't particularly good at maths and science at school. And um, so I initially, I think when I was at school back in the 2000s, early 2000s, tech careers seemed quite ver- very far fetched. And it seemed more about the sort of the programming binary side of things, yeah. which I'm not very good at at all. Um, but I mean, I work more on this, sort of, the human the human application side, the practical side. Um, and what I really love about my job is how it's how I've been able to sort of scratch the surface of some really deep technical stuff but also interpret, or interpret it but also convey how it relates to the ordinary person on the street. That's really, really cool. And I think it's it's been incredible sort of in my adult life just to see tech develop from something that was quite esoteric initially and only really understood by the few to just kind of pervading all of our, all of our lives really. Mm.
1: I think that this, this is one of the themes that sort of keeps emerging during these conversations is that if you say to someone do you want to work in tech the answer may well be not really if you say to them no. do you want to work in marketing <laughs> or oh, I'm not good at math and businesses. But yeah it's, it's it's a different thing isn't it so it's almost like that that word now it's like using the word digital isn't it it's almost become a little yeah. bit a little, a little bit defunct in so many ways because mm. you could say yeah, I suppose you could say you work in tech but at the same time you could quite say that you that you that you don't do that at all it just happens to be the industry that uses the skills that you've got
4: Absolutely. So many different backgrounds. And it's fantastic, I think, to have a broad spectrum of skills and perspectives that really sort of come together and make it work and make it useful.
1: Do you feel that your gender is of any relevance to what you do? Has it ever been an issue for people you might be working with?
4: Not for me personally, but I think it's because I come from the communication side of tech I think that there's generally a better gender balance um in marketing anyway or that perhaps what I do I think because a lot of what I do is PR I think because that's historically uh, mm. quite a a female um career path um it doesn't really affect me so much but what I can see is that in the sort of on the development side, on the technical and the development side, it is becoming more, um, sort of a better gender balance. Um, and not just a gender balance, but also in terms of um, just general diversity. And it's been, um, I've been personally really fortunate to work with um, a couple of, a few people and a few organisations that are really trying the hardest to sort of uh, redress that uh, gender and diversity balance in tech. And, um, and so it's really nice to see that change happening. Um, before my own eyes and also to have a tiny part in um, being able to sort of help tell that story too
2: I think we're seeing that here uh, like we're we're quite lucky in the southwest actually with that because we have never struggled really to find female entrepreneurs or female coders or any anybody you know? We, we just have a lot of women on the podcast because that's something yeah. that I'm very passionate about and insist on at least one woman per podcast. And um on this particular podcast, the only reason we have Robert is because we don't have a choice. But otherwise, we just <laughs> but otherwise everybody would just be female. None taken <laughs> But but I think we're quite lucky in in that respect, and we've never really had that that issue. But still everyone that we do speak to does say for some reason it is more difficult to get girls into tech jobs even though maths and sciences are on the up with GCSEs and A-level so it's something that's quite confusing and I wonder what it is about tech and it's something that I've asked all the time and we, we aren't able to actually find the answer but what is it about careers in tech that seem to almost repel females even though women are so successful in it when when they are in it yeah do you
4: know what? I have absolutely no idea uh, it's a question that that you've asked a lot a lot uh, yeah. it's a question that I've been asked a lot so there's, there's lots of different ways of looking at it I suppose what will be most obvious to me would be to look at the pipeline to see where women are dropping off mm. and um so if it's if maths and sciences are on the rise and they're studying things, where are these women going after Mm. and why?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely something for us to look into. Yeah. (laughs) What's coming up this year for you guys that... Is exciting. Uh,
4: we were always a temporary project, so unfortunately, we're not going to be around forever. But what's been really nice in the is, is that uh, our project has been extended, and we're currently uh, just waiting on a decision for a further extension. So fingers crossed, we'll get that as well. So okay. originally, we were due to end. Yeah, <laughs> originally, we were due to end in February 2020. Uh, 21, um, but we have now been extended to the end of the year, which is great, and we're hoping for a further extension into summer 2022. Um, I think the great thing about our project is that we've already established that there is demand um, for what we what we have, the expertise that we have, that businesses are really looking to engage with. Um, sort of research institutions universities and organizations like the met office that have a lot of expertise that is really valuable and useful to um just businesses of all size so it's really nice to have been part at the forefront of sort of facilitating i think the hope what will hopefully be the next wave of um business slash research engagement. So, there are a few things in the pipeline. Um, I'm so sorry, I hate to be cryptic. Oh, no, it's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> I think with everything uh, with, uh, with everything that's happening you're not quite sure what's, um, what's going to happen when and um, I- exactly how uh, but we are looking to we're looking very much so across the partnership to ensure that when our project comes to an end there isn't a gap and that everything that we've been working so hard for over the past sort of two and a half years just doesn't come to a grinding halt so we're looking at the we're looking at what works and how we can sort of develop that further and I think that we are very very lucky in in Devon and um and in the Southwest uh, to have a really strong close knit ecosystem. Um and there are a lot of people who what am I trying to say? Sorry, we've got a quite a close knit ecosystem, uh, but we've also got loads of really passionate players. So I'm really confident that what what will come next will be useful and successful.
1: Do you think that with the um the support that you're offering and the, the partnership that you've managed to put together there, that when, when we talk about what Devon and Cornwall and the wider south, southwest might become known for, do you think that data might form a part of that and our expertise and use of big data?
4: I hope so and I don't see how it can't because we've got some I mean we've got just got some fantastic fantastically unique organisations the as I've mentioned before the Met Office is a uh, one of the primary partners in our project um, and I've just realised I've not meant, mentioned it as the Environmental Futures and Big Data um, Impact Lab sorry
2: can I say that again it's fine because we'll mention it, <laughs> so don't worry. thank you we'll say that yeah
4: so sorry I'll start that one again um, I don't think I don't see how we can't be known for data because we've got some fantastic organisations in the Southwest, and already we've got some great success stories. So I can only see that building and improving as time goes on.
2: And are you going to be at the Tech South West Awards virtually, as we all are?
4: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I hope so. We put in this submission. We were there last year and we're very much looking forward to it again this year.
2: Oh, I love talking to Alma, and I think it's important that we never underplay storytelling and branding because that is what gets the fund for more research. Amazon on LinkedIn, and so are the organizations she works for.
1: Let's move on now to Caitlin Gould, who saw there was not enough provision for girls who wanted to find out more about careers in tech, and so she did something about it.
0: A frustration that I've been feeling myself and also heard across. The sector for a few years um, so uh, I'm working at Bluefruit as a the director there um, we regularly kind of have a challenge around trying to make sure we've got improved diversity but I also talk to other friends in different sectors so engineering and in the creative sector and gaming and there's just a genuine frustration from men and women in the sector of why there's not enough women and we looked into it and Traced it all the way back, there wasn't enough women. Then we looked back, there wasn't enough applicants that were women. So even when you were doing non-biased stuff, um, it was hard to find women to apply for certain jobs. And we started tracing it back and there was a kind of a critical point in a software Cornwall conversation where we saw the A-level results come out, um, I think for last year when those were still happening. And, And there just weren't any girls taking these courses. And so I think that's when it kind of clicked for us that the problem was a lot further back um, than just in the career. So I got a group of people together and we just started with the initial problem to solve, which is how do we get more girls to think about technology or engineering related A-levels and GCSEs? Um, And then as a team, we were looking at what already exists where there's already support. And we again, we just kept going further back and we decided after looking at a lot of research that the problem is really starts at a very young age and girls starting to rule themselves out. Of things, why, is so, that, why
2: do they why do they rule themselves out, and why aren't they taking these A levels, which um, they're usually quite good at?
0: Yeah, so that's a really it's a complicated question, to be honest. We're still exploring the problem. Uh, it is really easy for us to jump to conclusions of um, you know not enough influence, not feeling invited, um, potential bias. Um, what we've been working really hard as as a group is to try to actually do research and find out from the girls themselves what the problem is um so one initial theory was that they didn't feel or maybe they didn't want to do these things or it was a problem with parents um not wanting to encourage their daughters to do it but actually um and and that theory came from the fact that there aren't very many girls who go to the free software Cornwall Tech Jams you know they've got a ratio of less than 20 percent of girls I I volunteer there and sometimes there's no girls Um, and so uh, we thought maybe that's the problem they don't go to these events but when we set up so the the first idea we decided to do was to have an event just for girls marketed at girls make it very clear that it's a girl thing that was literally our (laughs) our catchphrase (laughs) and see if that was a problem and we were overwhelmed we had over a hundred girls, and all signed up by their parents, um, sign up within a week. So even just from that experiment, we realized that, okay, maybe it's not a lack of appetite, maybe it's um, the angle it takes. You know, we, we took a different angle with the Tech Girls event. We made sure to talk about it being more creative, more about making things, mm-hmm. um, a little bit less pressure, and that it was a chance to kind of play and experiment. Um, so that's some of the stuff we're trying to explore is if we, um, put less pressure on it and we open it up and we make it fun, are more girls interested? And we're seeing some really positive feedback that way.
1: Okay, Liam, because, um, <clears throat> this year chemistry, maths and biology were the three most popular A-level choices. So it's not as if there's a disconnect between, uh, young women doing science and mathematical um courses so why therefore do you think it just doesn't translate into seeing themselves as, as having a place within within the tech industry
0: so i'm really glad you brought those subjects up um there's a reason we went so tech girl stands for tech uh, technology engineering and the creative sector we intentionally left science out Um, because all the work around STEM has been brilliant for sciences, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't seen the same impact on technology, kids studying ICT or engineering. So we kind of thought the science part was, is already being covered, but there's not enough girls, um, still exploring engineering. Um, especially that's the worst. Um, and so you, you mentioned about mathematics there's this disconnect between girls being excellent at the, the things that could make them great engineers, but still not seeing engineering as a career opportunity for them uh, or not. I think, you know, what we're kind of starting to learn from talking to girls is that they don't realize how broad these sectors are. Mm. Um, you know, they hear engineer and they think um, that usually, you know, something related with building uh, they don't understand there could be, you know, but bi- biomedical engineering or, uh, you know, a lot of things that actually is a good scientific background or math background could help them into. So in some senses, it's just a lack of awareness of how diverse the job market is.
2: How have you guys managed during COVID to to keep the message going? And um, I mean, I, 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 I look at your tweets and see you guys on LinkedIn and it does seem like stuff's still happening um so yeah how have you been getting on
0: yeah well I mean the the first blow was our event was scheduled for the 4th of April so it hit right we pulled it about a few days you know a week or two before because it's just right when all of the COVID stuff kicked off Mm -hmm. um but the, the main goal for that event was that inspiration so we tried to think about okay how can we continue to inspire girls and maybe show some of those role models of what an engineer could look like um, when we can't have events, we can't go to schools and do talks. Um, so we just pivoted online. And so we put a lot of the focus into our Spotlight on Tech Women posts, which is for the girls and also a bit for their parents. It does show parents as well that there's these careers in Cornwall so they can be encouraging their children to, to know that that's an opportunity. Um, it also is, is nice to shine a spotlight on all these amazing women in Cornwall that are doing these things that are often not, you know, people don't know about. Um, So we've done that. Uh, We also were, we were planning on giving out a print magazine at the event and we've taken that and made it a digital publication for now. Um, And so, yeah, just kind of trying to pivot in that direction a bit.
1: Do you think that um, with uh, the economic challenges that we're about to face uh in the in the short medium and increasingly looks as if it might be the long term um that economic reality around future careers and the future economy do you think this might be a a bit of a new drive um to get young women looking at looking at where those opportunities might be
0: absolutely i mean the the government right now you know they're they're you know like it or hate it they're encouraging people to go more digital Um, and you know there's definitely a push that way you know that's not accidental the the digital sector in terms of career growth and and not seeing as big of an impact has been um, kind of shown across the you know kind of around the world Um, but also even before COVID there's a known gap in the UK and in Europe and and in the States of there um, being a massive gap between the amount of people that they're gonna need within the tech sector versus how many people are currently there. And we're talking a gap of kind of millions of jobs. Um, so there's this uh, requirement has already kind of pre-existed and it's only increased. Um, I think as well, um, people are saying that technology and engineering are some of the things that are helping Um, get through the crisis you know we've all become digital whether we like it or not going online um, and becoming zoom experts but also you know the companies that are more digital first are the ones that have been able to kind of figure out new ways to pivot a little bit so i think it's about that resilience um i think there's another impact though that we have to be really careful of and we're really trying to monitor in the southwest which is ensuring that there's an um with COVID that all the children in Cornwall still have the access to be able to get into that sector. Um, So and it starts to come into questions about kind of home learning access and and ability to be able to have the equipment they need at home to be able to kind of study those topics. So it's great for the government to say kids should get into tech but if we don't give them enough support, if we don't give them the equipment they need, if we don't give them the training and the schools the training they need, it's just a wish rather than a reality. That's interesting because I wonder as well if the lockdown
2: and COVID have actually helped people see why going into tech is actually so important and I wonder as well if during the lockdown you've found people from other parts of the country have contacted you to be part of Tech Girls or to start it elsewhere, because I know that that's, this happened with other um, organizations and even I've got loads of uh, people contacting me from like Pakistan and um, somewhere in uh, Poland and uh, other parts of Eastern Europe where they're starting coding camps for girls specifically. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting that that's happening in so many places, but they're they're targeting me here in the Southwest to sign my children up for it because now, you know, you can sign up to anything anywhere.
0: Yes, I think we've, you know, our our fan base has increased beyond Cornwall. Um, I spoke at a women in tech event that was held in San Francisco, um, but via Zoom. And there was a lot of interest from people around the world in kind of some of the stuff we're doing. I think something that we're looking at uniquely Um, compared to some of the other fantastic organizations, um, is that we're looking at the primary school age and we're kind of looking at inspiration and fun. Um, So that was, again, intentional because there's a lot of really great programs at the secondary school level for kids who have an interest in the subject. So really good things for girls who are already a bit keen to be able to take that forward. So like a coding club, um, what we're interested in is trying to inspire younger girls, um, kind of as young as five or six, to think that that could be something they'd be interested in in the future. So how do they rule themselves into those things? So we're trying to increase the size of the pipeline that could then be fed into those clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think especially too, a lot of the focus on those things, again, is on coding. Um, we're trying to broaden that out to help girls think about things like engineering and gaming and, and those types of things too. Um, Cause I think there was a, when we first started talking to parents about our events, there was a bit of a pushback that um, well, what if my daughter likes is interested in these things, but she doesn't find coding fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's trying to say there's so much more within did the digital sector and technology and engineering and the creative sector there's so much more than just the job of being a coder
1: okay um so you've you've talked quite a bit there about some of the 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 challenges that you have to engage young women in in the, in the way you might want to and we've touched a, a little bit on some of the, the the new opportunities what do you think is the biggest risk around what you're trying to do and what do you think is now the main opportunity that you can get hold of?
0: Um, so I think the biggest hurdle is still awareness. Um, definitely, when uh you talk to schools or we talk to other people who are kind of looking at this this problem, even at the higher level, it's just a real lack of awareness of what the future could look like in this space um and and where they could fit. Uh we had a, a really interesting um situation earlier this year. We actually some one of the things that we're doing is launching a report as well I should have mentioned that sorry Um, so we've um, one of the other pivots we've done um, is we decided to invest some time and effort into actually doing more research so doing a report on all of these factors Um, we worked with Nuffield Health and a student or sorry Nuffield Foundation and a student researcher and um, she is an incredibly um, bright young woman she is kind of looking to start her um, GCSEs and so kind of a little bit older than our target market again someone whos uh, had that kind of scientific background and she worked with us on this report over the summer and we had some really interesting conversations with her saying you know did you know you could apply psychology into tech and get into UX did you know you could do this and you know the feedback she'd said, was, she just had no, she just thought the only path for her was to be a psychologist. She had no idea that these other jobs existed, that these were even a possibilities, um, that she should be spending time with it. Um, so I think that that is a challenge, um, is the awareness of these possibilities. I think the other really big challenge that we saw come out of our research was the feedback we got from schools when we were asking them about what the biggest barriers are, um, is a lack of training available for teachers. Uh, You have a lot of wonderful teachers who would be happy to kind of try to get more of this in the classroom, but they're not um, given the training that they need, or they might not have the the space, or they might not have the tools. um, And to ask them to try to learn how to teach coding on top of everything else they're having to do <laughs> at the moment. You know, I think that's a real risk and I think that's a key area that we're looking at to try to think about how we can support, um, those schools. And, um, we've actually got a pilot project. We're thinking, uh, we're working on getting started. I don't know if it's worth in terms of how to tackle that problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we're looking at working, um, with, uh, I probably can't say who they are yet, but we're looking at working with an equipment provider um, and doing what we're kind of calling mentoring sessions, um, where we actually pull together three or four teachers from different schools around Cornwall. Each of those teachers bring with them two or three girls, and we're going to run a, tra- a Zoom-based training session for them over a series of four or five online sessions where we teach the teachers, but also the girls as well Um, and then those teachers and girls go back to their schools and they know then how to use this equipment and they know how to teach other people they know how to do workshops with it and you've got the girls who are then setting that example as a mentor so in doing that they're also sharing that message across the school that this is something the girls can be really good at um, and we like this plan because everybody wins um, all kids get to benefit from having more training but there's also then a subtlety of trying to combat some bias that has existed previously about who's good at this type of thing but we're doing it in a very subtle way um, uh, and we're also supporting teachers by doing That's
2: that because so- oh, when you have a teacher who's very passionate about something then they can sort of make it you know important make it an important subject and put it on top of the agenda within the school so you know all the other teachers even if they aren't um on board just do become on board
0: exactly exactly well and it also the so the mentor program as well is you know something that we're looking at is how to when we do have girls that are keen how to not only help them with their technical skills, but build up their own confidence. So their willingness to help others and how can they kind of almost become ambassadors within the school. Um, And that kind of positive impact it can have on their fellow students, boys and girls.
2: Amazing. Well, I hope you tell us more about that when um, we next speak to you, because that'll be really fun uh, to know how that's gone and, and, the positive impact that I'm sure you're going to have. But just before you go, I wonder if you could tell me how you're feeling about the Tech Southwest Awards, which is happening very shortly.
0: Yeah, we're really excited about it. You know, I think it's been a, a year of ups and downs for us. Um there's been, as we mentioned, there's been a lot of a challenges it was, uh, um, but it's it's really amazing to be recognized for the amount of effort we've been doing um, you know it's something that's been a hundred percent a volunteer effort that we've been all doing in our spare time um, in addition to our full-time jobs that so we often don't take a step back and realize how far we've come and what we've been able to achieve and this uh, entering the award and then being nominated has been a really great opportunity for us to kind of reflect on how far we've managed to come in such a short space of time so I think it's really valuable for our team and all the volunteers that work with us.
2: That's Caitlin Gould talking about her fantastic project Tech Girls. They're on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn so do give them a follow.
1: So that's it for this episode. Our next podcast will be live at the Tech Southwest Awards Ceremony on Hop In.
2: That's happening on Thursday, November 26th, and we'll be in all our finery. For now, thanks for listening. We'll be back next month. A Tech Southwest podcast.